0: BetOnline continues to be your number one source for all your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year. With up-to-the-minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with in-game live betting, contests, and all the best player props. Experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop or your mobile devices. Head to BetOnline today to become part of the team, and remember to use promo code BLEAV for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, the game starts here. Jordan bets second? Ben Dubose joins me to discuss right here on Believe in Astros. What's up, Astros fans? This game is turned upside down! Welcome to the
1: Believe in Astros podcast, your home for all things Astros, with your host, sports writer, and native Houstonian, Jeff Bulky. Ah!
0: Direct from H-Town, here's Jeff Balky. What is up, Astros fans? Welcome to episode 105 of the Believe in Astros podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network. I'm Jeff Balky, uh, your happy host, and welcoming my friend uh, and Houston media phenom, I'll call him, Ben DeVos to the show today. Ben's a, uh, kind of a local sports... Social media celebrity, let's just be honest. And uh, well, I appreciate writes, that. And writes the uh, Rockets USA Today blog and is, a, as he describes it, an Astros media pinch hitter in the offseason, which is a good way of putting it. Ben and I actually know each other from way back when we both wrote for the Houston Press. So he and I have both been around this uh, sports thing for a little while. Ben, welcome. How are you today? Doing well. And I will say
1: I would like to be less available for the Astros because since my primary job is covering the Rockets, I have to wait until the Rockets are done before I'm available to do stuff on the Astros media side. So in a perfect world, the Rockets would be playing into May and June the way they were back in the day. Unfortunately, the last few years, they're done by uh, early to mid-April, so pretty much have the entire baseball season to uh, pinch hit as needed on the Astros side. But hopefully within the next couple of years, we'll get back to the uh, NBA season lasting a little bit longer around these parts.
0: Well, you know how much I love the Rockets. I honestly, as, as I think a lot of people know in here, basketball was my first love growing up. I've been a Rockets fan since as long as I can remember. Um, so, obviously, I follow them as as religiously as I do the Astros. Not as happily over the last right. few years, but nevertheless, uh, it is something. Well, thanks for joining me today. Um, I want to start out by talking a little bit about Jordan Alvarez. I mean, Joe Espada said he's going to bat second. Today is his debut. I, he might be batting any minute now, actually, given yep. when we're recording this. Um, he said he's going to put him second. Now, this is a, a sort of a new trend in baseball. You see other players Shohei Otani, Freddie Freeman, Mike Trout, guys batting second, with the idea being let's get these guys as many at-bats as possible, sort of different from that traditional putting them in the third or fourth spot where they're traditional RBI producers. I don't find this to be a downside, but I'm curious as to your thoughts as to how you what you think about it. I'm actually most excited about it because of the balance that it gives to the overall lineup. I think
1: certainly just from a math perspective, bumping Jordan up to where he gets – another at-bat potentially in a game. You don't potentially end the game with him on the on-deck circle in the ninth, and if you do, it's because you gave Jose Altuve a chance to bat, and I think you can live with that outcome. So, just from a math perspective, potentially sneaking a couple more at-bats, you'll know, you take it. But what I really like about it is that it allows you to put Kyle Tucker in the cleanup spot because what we've seen a lot the last few years, and I know Joe Espada is not Dusty Baker, so perhaps they would have reevaluated some of this anyway, but because you want to break up the lineup and sort of have righty-lefty, righty-lefty, Lefty, right. Then that's oftentimes push Tucker down to the five, even the six hole. Because if you want Yordan at three or four, then you want to break between those lefties. And especially when Michael Brantley was healthy, right. oftentimes you'd put Brantley at two, Yordan at four, Tucker at six. And that's pretty low in the lineup for a guy that's as good as Kyle Tucker. So it's not just about Yordan at two, it's also because of the way the lineup sets up, assuming a spot. And it sounds like he does. He wants to put Altuve one, Yordan two, Bregman three. Tucker at four, then you get Tucker some more at-bats as well. I think that could be really, really useful for this team. The other thing to think about with this is that, and I think the Astros were sort of going down this road anyway, with Altuve at one, he's a power threat to begin with, but now you have Altuve at one and Jordan at two. It really makes the nine spot in the order sort of a second leadoff spot if you will so i think it's very interesting to see what they do with that spot i think for example the spring training game today i believe they have dubon there and dubon i was just gonna say yeah yeah, that's pretty natural for that spot a guy who can sort of grind at bats and you know slap his way on if that's what needs and has decent speed once he gets on base jake myers is a little bit of a tougher fit he has the speed but as far as just the steadiness of the at bats and reaching Mm -hmm. base consistently hopefully get back to where he was as a rookie before the shoulder issues that he's had the last couple of years and then he's talked about some of the mental health issues that he's dealt with as well so hopefully Jake Myers you know at least speed wise could be a candidate for the nine the other name that I would throw in the mix to watch for is Jeremy Pena I'm sort of excited to see what happens with uh, Pena and spring training and to start this year because I feel like we're basically at like Pena 3.0, like we know what he was his rookie season, yeah. and I would say the start of 2023 when he, you know, pedestrian average, below average OBP, but really sold out for the power because you, we know he can drive the ball. Yes. We know that you know when he's right, the launch angle, the exit velo, it's all pretty good. Now as 2023 progressed, they actually made some big strides with him in terms of getting him to lay off the breaking yeah. pitches. He raised the on base percentage. Yep. The overall at bat quality was better but he had to sacrifice the power to get there and so it's one right. of you know it's one of those things you don't want to give up too much to raise the on-base percentage so what happens this year we know that they're working on trying to get him back to at least some version of the power guy he was to start his career can they do that without it sacrificing the on-base percentage if they can do that then he might be a good candidate for the 9 spot as well because you know it flew under the radar because people are sort of asking where did the power go but At a root level, he did improve his discipline, he did improve his eye, and he does have some speed. So because of that, he could be a factor in that nine hole as well. But I would just say, if you're going to try and lead off your order with Altuve and Jordan at the top, then it really makes that nine hole sneaky valuable because you want that guy to get on base and be able to do some damage on the base paths when he's on there.
0: Yeah, those are really good points. I agree with you 100% on the nine hole. I think they're, especially now that you don't have, you don't really have to just sacrifice the nine hole like you did last year with Maldonado uh, right. where you just put somebody at the bottom of the lineup who you know, isn't going to hit. Um, it really does make a difference Dubon, I think is a real interesting choice there, especially on days that he gets the start in center. Um, or if he fills in for somebody, Uh, I I think that's going to be a real sneaky spot. And I love your comment about Kyle Tucker. I think that's something that very few people have brought up, and I think it's an extremely uh, salient point that moving Jordan up doesn't just mean moving Jordan up. It also means moving Kyle Tucker up. And when you look at this lineup, you know, one through seven – with you know Tucker presumably fourth, Abreu fifth, and then you look and you've got Yiner Diaz in there. You're, you're looking at a lineup now with with especially now with McCormick in there every day. You're looking at a lineup where you've got the potential of producing multiple 800 plus OPS guys in the yeah. first seven guys, which is just brutal for pitching. Um, And so I, yeah, I think that's a really good point about moving, just kind of pushing everybody up the lineup a little bit.
1: Yeah. And I also think pushing Bregman to the three hole is very useful because his on-base skills, that's something that can sort of set the table for some of the guys that are more free swingers and like the five through seven holes. When you're talking about Jose Abreu, Chaz McCormick, Yainer Diaz, not totally free swingers. I mean, Chaz in particular is a guy that when he's right, can draw walks. But I just think that certainly you want to give the green light to Jose and Jordan whenever you can just based on the transcendent nature of their swings so I do think that you know moving Bregman up into the three hole that's sort of like a you know we talk about the nine spot being important to sort of set the table for Altuve and Jordan then if one of those guys has an extra base hit then you want that three spot to potentially you know generate some traffic on the bases so that when the big thumpers start coming up in the middle part of the order Tucker, McCormick, Abreu Diaz that hopefully they're able to uh, get some at-bats with people on base
0: well and Abreu you know as somebody was talking about it on the post game show yesterday I forget who it was um, but they were saying that you know Abreu was not good last year and he still had 90 RBIs <laughs> I mean that's just the nature of being in that spot in the lineup and I think with this they could help him produce even more do have a couple of injuries to note Justin Verlander still we're not sure if he's going to be back opening day Um, he's playing it cautious. I don't think anybody really cares if he's back opening day. (laughs) If he's back within the first few weeks of the season and he's still playing well towards the end of the season, that doesn't really matter. Um, I will say, I think – I think JV himself cares because he yeah. has that
1: 140 inning uh, vesting option for 2025. Well, so That
0: is a much more important point for JV is that, yeah, exactly. Like if he pitches 140 innings, which he wants to, he's going to make a bunch more money. Um, right. So yeah, that's a really good point. I think the more interesting injury note here is JP France, because if France is not ready for the start of the season season, there is the potential and i'm going to i'm going to go into this with you here in a minute but there's the potential for somebody like a spencer arigatti to sneak in because a guy like your key like right now your top 5 are pretty much set assuming your key is one of those five but your key is a guy who can move back and forth from the bullpen to the starting rotation he's been able to do it before they're not going to put arigatti in the bullpen At worst, they're going to move him, keep him at AAA and let him stay stretched out as a starter. But before we dig into that, let's talk a little bit about Forrest Whitley because I cannot Hmm. bypass the fact that we're a week into spring training and he's got a sore finger. And I mean, it's like, it's a sore middle finger. And there's definitely a joke in there somewhere. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what it is. But they're shutting him down for a week, even though the swelling's come down. I mean, is he ever going to make a major league roster legitimately for this Astros team even at 26 yeah it's a fair question although I will say in fairness to Forrest
1: while there's you know it it sort of feels like here we go again given his history Mm -hmm. I will say that with middle finger inflammation I'm assuming they've done x-rays MRIs whatever it may be, depending on the exact nature of his injury, assuming those came back clean, this should be relatively acute. I think, you know, being serious here and not just the Forrest Whitley (laughs) jokes, because it feels like we've been, you know, saying this is the mirror for five, six, (laughs) seven years now. I I think in fairness to him, this is a situation that actually should be acute. And one distinction I try to draw when it comes to injuries, there are definitely chronic injuries. I don't think there are chronically Injury prone people and the distinction I want to make there is that like if you have a weak elbow and you're a pitcher Certainly there can be a connection to the forearm There can also be a connection to, you know, you might have shoulder problems because of the way it uh, forces you to adjust your mechanics. Mm -hmm. If you have a bad leg, you might overcompensate and it leads to a problem with the other leg or some other body part. Like, that's a thing. And so if you have, you know, a weak body part, and especially one that's (laughs) chronically injured and hasn't been allowed to heal, then yeah, like you can sort of tie it in and say, well, does it all trace back to this? With something like finger inflammation, that should be uh something that's its own entity that is not due to overcompensation or some other problem somewhere else in the right. body so in this case i'm inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt and because they're penciling him in as a reliever it's not as damaging as it is for a guy like JV or especially France that you're trying to stretch out. And so right. even though it's still the end of February, look, we're now under a month until opening day. And so when we're talking about starters, that at a minimum, if you're going to start a guy, they at least need to be able to go 75, 80 pitches. Then yeah. yeah, you do have to wonder, OK, can they get there? Because neither JV or France <laughs> is throwing uh, breaking pitches off the mound yet. Right. So. That's that's absolutely a fair question with Whitley because all you're trying to do is build him up to where he can throw you know 15 20 pitches in an inning. Right. I think this is a situation where he can take a week or two off and assuming it's not something that needs surgery and at this point i would assume that they have put him through you know the x-ray the MRI, yeah you, whatever you've got to figure be.
0: especially if they're giving him a week off yeah
1: so while it's frustrating the jokes write themselves <laughs> i think at this point it should resolve itself within a week or two and i think whitley will ultimately get back to you know we'll see if he can actually do it on the baseball merits but i think ultimately yeah. that's what it will be decided by just how well he can pitch i don't think it will be determined by this injury i don't think it's anything I don't know concern. if
0: anybody's ever done this before, but I would love to see somebody uh, do Forrest Whitley running down the road like like Forrest Gump and having his leg braces <laughs> fall off <laughs> in some sort of a miraculous recovery. Uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's, it, 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 I agree with you. I think you're right. And that's an interesting point about injured body parts, but not necessarily injured people. It's a, it's a It's a good way of putting it. Um obviously you think his problems last year were his back um yeah. they weren't really the I mean it, it, yeah. it wasn't a fi- it wasn't a finger problem that we know of right. and it, it, the thing is it's just funny i mean yeah. it's, it, a swollen finger is just funny i mean in, in in it is empirically a funny concept um i'm sure not for him um <laughs> no. but it's but it's really funny to me and while we're talking about pitchers Look, we have 11 roster spots for pitchers that are probably going to be filled. Maybe not day one, depending on injuries, but you've got Verlander, Fromber, Javier, Brown, and Urquidy are your five starters. Hayter, Presley, Abreu, Montero, and I think Dylan Coleman is probably pretty solidified in there. So that gives you your, you know, that gives you most of your guys. That leaves you really a couple open spots for Whitley, and then you look at the list. I mean, it's it's a list of guys that have been up in the Astros pitching ranks previously. Rennell Blanco, Parker Mashinsky, Brandon Bielak, Sean Dubin, Seth Martinez, Bennett Souza, uh, even Oliver Ortega, a guy that I think is kind of an under-the-radar guy who has a potential uh, to come up as a... As a he was a, a waiver guy. Um, I think it's going to be... And then that... And obviously, like we said, they're not going to put Eric Getty in the bullpen. So... If he snuck in, maybe your Katie then comes down, you know, uh, maybe France, uh, you know, has a ha, maybe pitches a little on the bullpen. They have a lot of arms, but not a lot of space for all of them.
1: Right. And I will say <clears throat> that based on the injuries to JV and France, that could present an opening to the guys who can stretch out a bit more. Like yeah. Your Renell Blanco, yes. your uh, Brandon Belak, your Sean Dubin, guys that have starting experience because... If you're looking at a more long-term replacement, like let's say, and hopefully this doesn't happen, but let's say it doesn't look like JV is going to be able to return until May. If that's the case, then I think what you may be looking at is someone like an Arigetti, who you can just sort of be a drop in replacement. Is he ready? I don't know, but he's perhaps the next up in terms of, you know, a true starter that you might consider in that type of role. However, what I think is more likely is that you're going to need something of a hybrid and that, you know, if you If you take their updates at face value, which is that both JV and France aren't super alarmed, they're just a little bit behind with JV. You know, he's 41 years old now. A lot of this comes with, you know, the passage of time. He's a couple of years after Tommy John. So uh, nothing too, too alarming if you take them at their word that i think what this may be trending towards is a scenario where those guys are available if not by opening day by very early in the season but they're on fairly tight pitch counts in that we're talking about you know 75 80 85 pitches and guys aren't fully stretched out at the start of a season anyway and of course that's especially the case if you're coming off an injury so in that case what you need is a guy who can come out of the bullpen that has experience in that role but also can give you two, even three innings if you need it, because if you're on a pitch count of seventy-five or eighty, it doesn't take much for that to only be you know two or three innings if somebody you know puts some runs or just some stressful at bats on you early in a game. So I think you know the guys that may really benefit and and how it impacts the I almost said the Rockets' decision making, the Astros' decision making here is that. Guys that can sort of come out of the bullpen that are comfortable in those roles, but are stretched out enough that can conceivably give you two, even three innings if you need it. And that's the guys <laughs> like Blanco, like Belak, maybe like Dubin. They might be the ones that benefit from a guy like JV or France being sort of yeah. in that in-between range where they can probably go, but they can't go to nearly extent that
0: they hope they will later in the season. I think it's going to be real interesting. Interesting to see how the Astros do manage those bullpen arms. <clears throat> it's obviously during the, during the spring training, they're going to just run a bunch of guys out there, see how they throw. But, you know, also another consideration they're going to have is – that means they're probably not going to try to go with big, heavy throwers. You know, Rennell Blanco might fall in that category of a guy that they might want to change a pace guy. That was what Phil Maton really offered them last year was a guy that came in and didn't blow you away with speed, but was really crafty in his pitches. So you can see that like a guy like Seth Martinez has a little bit more of that sort of thing to him, but you're right. And to your point, Uh, it will, a lot's going to depend on the injuries. If guys are out for short periods of time, then yeah, they're probably not going to worry too much about it. If guys are going to be out for two spot, two times through the rotation, well, that might make more of a difference. And you might want to look for a slight, I don't want to call long-term replacement, but longer than, than might, what you, what you might get from like a long reliever. Um, you and know, by the way, one thing yeah. that I would note on Sousa, I do think that,
1: and again, the caveat, we have not seen Joe Espada manage at mm-hmm. a regular season level yet, but we right. know there were a lot of situations the last few years where Dusty wanted a lefty. And I know a lot of people will look to Josh Hader. Actually, I don't think Hader's arrival changes it all that dramatically because it's just a closer. It almost doesn't matter that he's left-handed because you know, the role that he's going to be put in. So when we talk about (laughs) this need for a lefty for, you know, and especially in the AL West, there's a lot of teams, the Rangers in particular that have these pockets of lefties that do Mm -hmm. damage. Then, Susa still has a role because even though you added Josh Hader, it's not like you added Hader in a role where you're just right. gonna you know drop him in in the sixth or seventh inning and say, well, you know, here's the lefties, go get him out. No, well, he's gonna be in yeah. the ninth. So, Susa Mushinsky, doesn't matter, his handedness. Yeah, yeah, Sousa and
0: Mushinsky both. I think you have that, yeah, that too. So these that's these still guys.
1: Role. I just want to clarify that even after you know, you added uh, Josh Hader. I don't think it necessarily changes the underlying calculus for, you know, the benefit of a lefty. And so Sousa, but M- Mushinsky as well, that is the potential path
0: for them. That's a really good point. It, you know, it's interesting how the Astros have a, a, you know, well, hopefully we'll be back to dominant left-handed starter. Uh, and now they have what would appear to be a, a dominant left-handed closer. Uh, but yeah, they've always been a team that has struggled finding a lefty, in the bullpen. It's never been something that they've done a particularly good job at having. And so they've, they've worked around it. You know, when you look at these numbers too, you got to look offensively. We already have 11 guys set. I mean, it's for sure. You've got your starting lineup, which includes, you know, uh, Jordan at the DH, but then they also have, uh, Victor Caratini and Mauricio Dubon. So that's eleven yep. guys right there that you've got set. So that means there's really only two spots, and the and one of those two spots is going to go to a lefty. I don't think there's any question there's going to be a lefty at a bat up now. Caratini's a switch hitter, but I think they're going to want a, a lefty on the you know on the bench, somebody they can go to. So th- when you look at their who they have left. To me, Trey Cabbage has got to have the inside track for that. I mean, that was part of the deal that they made, was hoping they could get him up in, and start to see him. He's a younger guy. But then you've got guys like David Hensley and Gray Kessinger and John Singleton, who's somehow miraculously still playing for the Astros. Corey Jolks, who's already played up pretty well and, and did well last season, kind of tailed off. And then some younger guys like Kennedy Corona... Joey Loprofito. It's a lot of these guys. It's kind of an interesting sort of setup right now for them. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And it's interesting to look at sort of the, the trickle-down effect because when you see these final roster spots and you try to put yourself in the shoes of Dana Brown or Joe Espada, what you want to know is where you need coverage. Yeah. And one spot that's going to be very interesting, them watching throughout the spring training is center field. Can they really trust yes. Jake Myers? If you can trust Jake Myers, then potentially that allows you to be a little bit more creative with your roster spots because you could have Dubon as coverage for shortstop, second base, or middle infield spots, basically everywhere but third. Right. As opposed to if Myers is still... <laughs> the liability that he was for long stretches of last season, Mm -hmm. then you almost have to consider Dubon a part-time starter at center field. And so because of that, that makes the case a lot more stronger for a guy like Greg Kessinger who can provide middle infield coverage because you can't necessarily count on Dubon to fill that role if you're asking him to potentially start in center field. So there's a lot of things that are sort of interconnected there. I would agree with you on cabbage, having the inside track just because he's a lefty that right has a lot more versatility than John Singleton did a year ago. I think they kept Singleton on the roster through the postseason because, you know, I guess, first off, they just needed the left-handed power bat mm-hmm. someone that can bat from the left-handed side and have a little bit of pop off that bench, but also he could play first
0: base and spell Jose. That's Abreu. Big, if I he think needed. that's a big part of it. The first base, yeah. they don't really have anybody who can play first base. I mean, well, maybe you can smooth yiner there a little bit, but I can't you know, imagine that because
1: you brought in Caratini and so Caratini, oh right, he can play yeah, a little. Yeah, can first play base. first base. And so I think because you can throw Caratini into that first base mix, then that makes it a little bit easier to sort of use that left-handed power spot, if you will, yeah. on a guy like Trey Cabbage, who can also play the outfield, as opposed to Singleton, who's obviously first base and DH only. So I would give the edge, assuming he doesn't just go out and have a terrible spring, I would give the edge to Cabbage over Singleton. And then beyond that, again, a lot of it's just going to come down to, you know, I think in a perfect world. You know, you could sort of just ride the hot hand between uh, Kessinger and uh, David Hensley, but or or even a guy like Jolks, as you mentioned, and throw him into the outfield mix. But some of that's also going to depend on, you know, where you need Dubon. Can Dubon truly be a utility guy or are you going to have to have him in that center field mix this year? So that's where, you know, you have to look at how this is all connected. And so first got to to sort out the more prominent roles and then build your bench based on what you think of those more prominent
0: roles. And I will tell you this right now. uh, I know he played pretty much every game last year, and I assume he's going to want to do that again, but you better hope nothing happens to Bregman. Uh, because there is yeah. nobody at third. I mean, nobody. the closest they got is Zach DiCenzo, who is definitely not ready for the majors yet. I mean, he might be in a year, maybe a, maybe a year and a half. But man, they that is a black hole at third base. There is nothing uh, behind behind uh, Alex Bregman. Certainly, nobody that's played there on a regular basis. And um, it's
1: crazy to think back. By the way. As recently as 2021, people were questioning uh, Bregman's durability because right. he had those repeat leg injuries. The last two years, he has been an Iron Man, playing in 155 plus games and not missing a single game, not even a single at bat, I don't think, in mm. the postseason. And that's massive, uh, not just for his individual value. Obviously, it's a contract year, but for the Astros, that's the spot where organizationally they are weakest. So they need a healthy Alex Bregman. Thankfully, he's given them exactly that the last two years.
0: Exactly. All right, I got to I got to ask one thing before we close this out and that is everyone who follows you on social media knows that you are critical of officiating often with very good reason. <laughs> no, no doubt, the ABS system aka robo arms, they were got used all throughout the minors last year particularly in AAA. They were pretty well liked. Um, there was yeah. a really good story in the Athletic last year about how one of the surprising side effects was that it made hitters better because they call the games the same way. And so guys started to really learn and understand the strike zone. Um, Now major league baseball has, has not said if they're bringing it back to the minors this year, uh, there's still a possibility that that will happen. They've also said that before it comes to the majors, it needs some tweaks. Primarily they need to figure out how to adjust strike zones for people based on height, because that's still kind of a, an iffy deal for them. But are we ever really going to see these? I mean, as much as I would love to kick some of these unbelievably bad umpires to the curb, it seems like such a dramatic change.
1: Yeah. For me, what I wish they would do, and perhaps in time we can sort of reach a compromise solution here, is to be able to use it on a challenge basis yeah. to correct some of the really, really egregious misses because it's not impossible, but yeah, the height in particular is a really tricky one, even technologically Mm -hmm. to sync that up the way the human eye can, because there are, there are a lot of changes from one batter to the next that are a lot trickier than you would think. On paper to sort of implement. But what I think, what I think would really make the game better is you could just clean up the really egregious misses. And I do, I like your point about the availability of the technology, potentially making hitters better as well, because mm-hmm. too often what happens during a game is that you see hitters that are trying to adjust to the umpire. Yes. Whereas what you want is a more consistent approach. You don't want the hitter to be thinking, well, you know, the umpire is giving or not giving this inside corner or the outside corner, whatever it may be. You want the hitter to just go up there and say, Hey, here's the plate. Here's what I think is a strike. Here's what I think is not. And then just go out there and basically do his job. And the same goes for pitching. If you're trying to think about not only what's actually a strike, but what is, the umpire most likely to call or not call then yeah how does that not potentially affect your performance because we're talking about a sport where you have to make these decisions in a split second and all of a sudden you're introducing all these other variables and so it's natural to sort of freeze up i feel like as a hitter and even at times as a pitcher so i would just say while we're probably a long way off given the hurdles from you know full-on robo umps Mm -hmm. if you could just introduce the ability to correct the the egregiousness is I think it'd be a lot more tolerable for fans and I also think that for players it would give it it would give a certain degree of comfort that you know I'm not going to go down as a meme I'm not going to go down on something just completely out of bounds that there is some sort of um you know safeguard against the umpire doing something just ridiculous to me, that's sort of the middle ground that I think hopefully you can get to over the next few years.
0: And I I will say too, I think it's the like umpire Raider and, and some of those kind of things have really benefited uh, fans. And I think ultimately will benefit baseball because it really has drawn a spotlight, uh, drawn a strike zone, if you will. And, you know, and given people something to look at and yeah, it is difficult to figure because not only are people taller and shorter, but they also scrunch, and some stand-up, you know, it's it's a weird thing, but I agree yeah. with you. Having some kind of challenge system, they have it already for other plays. Why not for balls and strikes? Yeah, I mean, it, it makes a lot of exactly. sense. Exactly.
1: And I would say, you know, you made the point about hitters, but I, I would say the same applies for pitchers as well. A guy like Fromber Valdez, who, by the way, I, yeah. I think he gets a bit of an unfair rap. I know he had the bad end to 2023, mm-hmm. but even in the playoffs, you know, he had the bad start against the Twins. The two against the Rangers were more bad luck. There was some soft contact, yeah. some air that played into that the big home run i forget if it was garver or heim Mm -hmm. that uh that the rangers hit in game six was like a row one cheapy that in 28 of 30 ballparks is a routine flyout So actually didn't pitch as poorly in the playoffs as a lot of people think and then overall i think a lot of people in general are sort of forgetting that fromber from 2020 onward and especially 2021 2022 in which case 2022 he was borderline ace and was your best pitcher in the world series could have been world series MVP. so in general i think that He's someone that a lot of people are too down on people, you know, yeah, the second half of the year wasn't great, but he's a guy who was actually really good for a long time. So I'm expecting him to bounce back and his durability <laughs> is especially important when you look at Berlander in his forties, he's already got an issue. Having a guy like Fromber you can trust to go out there and give you innings is a big deal, but to sort of tie it back in with the, um, with the replay proposal that we're throwing out there, the ability to challenge Fromber's a guy who we know he wears his heart on his sleeve. And at times we see yeah. that emotion, get the, the best of him. If he can trust that there's not going to be an egregious miss, and when there is an egregious miss, a chance to potentially get it right. Yeah. then that helps a guy like him to sort of stay the course and stay within himself. Because, you know, you think of it from a hitting perspective, but it, the same applies for pitchers as well. If sure. you get completely screwed, if you drop in that curve and it's in the zone, but the umpire says it's not and a guy reaches base because of it, then yeah, it can sort of spiral. It lingers in your mind. And one thing leads to another. And I think that's where, you know, even if it's not full blown robo umps, just the ability to challenge would do so much because if you can correct the egregious misses, then both for the batter and the pitcher, then that's going to have them much more. Yeah. comfortable they're not going to worry about these worst case scenarios and so if you can prevent the worst case scenarios that's going to make it all the more easier for everybody even the high strung guys like fromber to sort of keep it on the straight and narrow and trust that you know if they do their job that things are going to work out that's, that's what re- you w- really want to fix
0: that's a really good point point. and if anybody out there has ever watched professional tennis you know what a dramatic difference having that replay call makes. Because look, when you're when you're skirting a, like an eighth of an inch of a line, right? Having a, a computer replay be say, yeah, it did touch the line, or no, that was out, it missed. Even if it missed by you know a hair, um, it makes a huge difference. It can be, it can mean the difference between winning or losing. Um, it can certainly mean the difference between uh improving how you feel about the game going forward not just the fans but the people like you said like guys like fromber who are in the middle of it
1: um and to use your your tennis example i mean it can affect your willingness to you know go for that outer edge on your serve and in baseball you know if you're a pitcher and you know to put yourself in you know fromber shoes for example are you willing to challenge the bottom part of the zone or are you going to leave it in the middle because you don't trust the umpire to make the right call? That's where it really makes an impact. Can you trust the official, the umpire, whoever it may be to make the right judgment? If you don't, then it's not just that you missed the call. It's that the player then sort of loses trust on his entire game plan and might do something that's a lot Mm -hmm. easier to, you know, if it's tennis, return the serve, if it's baseball, you know, obviously hit the ball. So I think, more than anything, what the replay system, the challenge system does, is it reinforces trust, that there's not going to be something egregiously wrong, that if the pitcher, the batter, whoever it may be, goes out and does his job and identifies the zone correctly, then then it's going to be decided on their own merits. And Unless I think it's that Angel Hernandez, confidence
0: can do a ton. Unless it's Angel Hernandez, and then nothing, oh, nothing can be trusted. <laughs> then you can't trust anything that happens. No. You can trust no. absolutely nothing. You can just assume that anything that's going to go wrong, absolutely will, when that guy is behind the plate, or really when he's anywhere. Let's be honest anywhere <laughs> on the field at any time is a, is a weird day when it's angel. Well, Ben, thank you so much for joining Absolutely. me. I cannot appre- I cannot thank you enough for that. I really appreciate it. You got, where should people find you? What's the best way to find you?
1: Yep. Uh, ben Dubose on Twitter slash X. Again, my primary platform is uh, USA Today covering the Rockets. You can find the link to that on my profile. But uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see my MLB coverage. Like I said, I've filled it in, in the past for uh, for MLB.com, for the Associated Press. Basically, whenever someone needs a game or a series off, they know I'm around, especially if the Rockets are off, which unfortunately, they've had a better season this year, but definitely not going to be a playoff team, I don't think. So no. I'll be available for most of the baseball season. So, uh, you know, the outlet will change from one week to the next but yeah. Uh, yeah ben dubose on twitter is the cleanest place to find all of it
0: isn't that the beauty of the freelance writer life it's like, yep, it's sure like whoever, is. whoever picks up the phone or, or types in the email is, the, uh, is, the, is who you get to work for. Well, thank you again for joining us. Thanks, everybody, for listening. On uh, We're on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, all of the platforms, of course, on YouTube. I'll be back on Friday with a five-minute Friday update for the, before the weekend. And then, of course, back next week for a full episode. So uh, please keep listening and subscribing. And uh, let me know if you have questions or comments. Thanks again to Ben DuBose for joining us today. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And as always, go Astros.